Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Courtney here with a special offer just for you. My new book is coming out in April. It's called Looking Up, A Birder's Guide to Hope Through Grief. It's all about grief and sorrow and the ways that birds and birding can bring us to a place of hope. It's a book of faith. It's a book of humor. We would love to give you a 20% discount. You can use this code, IVPPOD20. That's I-V-P-P-O-D-2-0. That code will give you 20% off and free shipping anywhere in the U.S. when you order from ivpress.com. Pick up your copy of Looking Up, A Birder's Guide to Hope Through Grief today. Is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird that perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. With us today is Kristen Johnson. She is a shepherd slash pastor in the EFCA with a self-described non-linear education and work history. She is a birder who joins me from here in Southern California. We are both Orange County birders. Kristen, welcome. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. It's so good to have you. I would love to hear a little bit about this nonlinear work in education history that brought you to your point today where you're serving this church. Yeah, it's been a ride. I grew up in Southern California in Orange County, and I went to my local Cal State Fullerton and intended to be a journalist. I was a communications journalism major with an English minor, um, also working on staff at the Baptist church I'd grown up at during college as well as in education. And so Right before I graduated, after doing my print journalism internship, I told my very gracious parents, I don't think this is what I'm going to do. And they amazingly rolled with it really well. So I had no plan post-graduation. And then within a week, my public school Jewish boss took me back. And my dentist both said the exact same words to me, well, you know what you're supposed to do, right? And I told both of them no. And both of them independently and not knowing one another told me, you're supposed to work at church with your youth and go to, my Jewish boss said, you know, school for that. And my dentist, who was a Christian, said, go to a local seminary. Uh, So I approached my pastor and said, I don't know about that, and ended up getting hired to work with youth. They then sent me to seminary. So worked with youth, did seminary. Those two things ended at the same time. And again, in my mid-20s, kind of didn't know what the future was, ended up joining Teach for America, moving to Las Vegas and teaching fourth grade in a Title I school for two different schools for three years. That ended knowing that fourth graders deserve teachers who are passionate about being there, and I was surviving, so they deserved better. Uh, So I came back to Southern California with, again, no plan, and while I was there, I also got a Master's of Education, so three degrees multiple careers at that point and no plan as I was hitting 30. So I took a temp job working at a local Christian university, which ended up mostly being my home for about 10 years, doing mostly donor relations, um, data entry, donor relations, lots of things, brief sojourn into marketing at a nonprofit for less than a year. Um, In the meantime, I got asked, 
I had started attending the church that I now serve at when I moved back to California, and they slowly, graciously started using some of my gifts. I started writing for them. Eventually, they asked me to start teaching, and I kept saying, you've never heard me teach, uh, which then led to actually teaching in the pulpit while I was still working on staff at the university, and then just a couple years ago, came on staff full-time here since I was kind of struggling a little bit to balance a full-time job and about 20 hours a week of volunteering. So here I am um, getting to mostly do communication, also a lot of teaching, which is a gift, and then slipping outside whenever I can to look at birds. That is the thing. Ministry is a, is a passion and a love, but it does, it does keep you from the marsh. Sometimes. <laughs> well, I love, thank you for sharing those pieces of your story. I was actually a journalism communication major and an English minor as well. That was my plan. But as so often happens, God has other plans and steers us yes. to places that we perhaps didn't intend, but are grateful to land at. Very true. Well, I would love to hear about how you got into birding. And then I want to talk favorite OC birding spots because we have a lot of listeners around the country and around the world, but we have also a lot of folks who travel here maybe to take the kids to Disneyland and you can do that, but we have even better things. The birds are better. <laughs> um, yeah. Birds have kind of always been around. My, I was asking my mom just this last weekend, I said, remind me how the pelican thing started because I don't remember my parents not being interested in pelicans. They would collect pelican things. My dad would go on a business trip and bring home something or give my mom an ornament with a pelican. And she said she doesn't remember, but she thinks maybe early in their marriage, they both just kind of mutually near the coast one day commented on them. They're just so striking. So I remember birds always kind of being around. And then when I was a toddler, a relative gave my dad a birding book and kind of first told him about it. So the 1983 National Geographic bird book is my earliest memory of birds. It went on all our childhood all of our family vacations. It still goes because now I take it um, if we're all going together. And my dad just had a casual interest. He, I wouldn't have called him a birder. I don't think he would have ever owned that title himself at that point. But we would be on, we always took driving vacations and he would be pointing out the hawks and we learned how to ID the herons in the, what we call a river, the Santa Ana River, which is concrete. But hey, the herons show up. And so I learned just kind of casually from him and then in 2014, I went to Israel and I remember I was on a tour and I just kept asking the guide about birds. And he finally was like, I can tell you about anything, but I don't know anything about the birds. There was one bird he knew, which now I can't remember what it was. I'd never heard of it. It was a bird we don't have here. Um, but I was just really captivated by them. And so for my birthday, a couple years later, I asked for binoculars and my parents gave them to him. And then my dad and I went and did a guided bird walk at Bolsa Chica Wetlands and that just kind of cemented, like, this is my, this is my happy place. Um, so he and I had a couple more outings. And then shortly after that, within months, he was diagnosed with um, terminal brain cancer. And so that actually became, I mean, that was an incredibly hard journey. But every day at work, I was working at the university at that point. And oddly enough, in the middle of this suburban campus, we had a creek that ran through the campus. So every day about 2 o'clock, I would go take a walk. Um, usually that's when my mom would call with an update on things, but I would go take a walk and go, I would always just ended up at the Creek. And for some reason there were amazing birds there. And so I would take terrible pictures on my phone of them. And every day after work, I'd go see my dad and, um, he quickly lost pretty quickly, lost the ability to communicate, to talk, to do different things. But I would hold that phone with the picture I took or with a picture I stole off the internet because they were better. 
and he would be riveted. He could move his left hand and he would grab that phone and he would look at the bird and he would wait for me to tell him. Um, I had a couple firsts that I saw there, some lifers. That was the first place I saw scaly-breasted munias, the first place I saw a sora, which mm. I didn't know existed. And he had never, I'm pretty sure, seen. So he he really studied that one. I showed him a video of it walking, not that I took. Um, and that became just a really sweet aspect of that journey of just walking. It was a place I could breathe, a place I could cry. And the birds just felt like a gift. Right, right after he passed away in 2019, there was actually a rare winter storm here and it kind of decimated that creek area and the birds never came back really. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there was pandemic and I stopped working there and all the things conspired. But it was just, it felt like a gift from God in that season to have this place that I could just go and have this thing that bonded me to my dad anyway but it just felt like such a gift to be mm. there. I saw things I'd never seen. I feel like it's kind of where I learned to watch, um, to just show up and wait and watch and see what would happen. And after my dad passed away, I took my mom to Bolsa Chica for the first time. She inherited his binoculars. We bought him the same pair that I had. Um, he had a real fear of missing out on things his kids did or had. And so she inherited those binoculars and I would take her and she would say, I'm not as good as your dad, but she was really great at describing what she was seeing while I would be flipping the bird book or it was before I knew about Merlin. Um, and so we spent a lot of time. I had some friends that were really, really thoughtful and like they didn't care about birds, but they would just go be present with me. And now they care about birds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really kind of fun. Um, so yeah, it just has become a growing thing. And then this year, uh, last in 23, January 1st, my mom sent me the article about Southern California snowy owl. And so on January 1st, I said to my husband, we'd been married about two months at the time, I said, okay, we have to go find it. I know where Cypress is. We can find this bird. And we did. We went after church on the 1st. We found the bird. Well, we found the photographers. And so then we found the bird, um, took some, you know, that's where we learned we could take pictures with our iPhone through our binoculars. And because we don't have camera gear, so we took a ton of pictures of that snowy owl And then I said, you know, I think it'd be fun this year. I've never been a lister. So I think it'd be fun this year to see how many birds we can see. And Mm -hmm. so that kind of launched our 2023. We spent the year just looking for birds. And I think I figured out um, that basically 35% were lifers for me. Even though I didn't have a list, I know if I haven't seen it. Uh, So I saw over 65 brand new birds, saw almost 200 birds that year. Just from, we'd go to parks. We got the OC park pass. Um, and we just had fun and it just became, it was a bonding thing for us. In addition to playing a lot of wingspan, we actually, he loves being outside. I love birds. It's a great, it's a great combo. Hmm. Um, so it's been fun. I, I love that journey. And it, it's so fun to talk to someone who I'm like, Oh, I love that spot too. Like these are, it, it is, it is a magical place for birding. I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Wisconsin and they've great birds in Wisconsin. Um, but they don't have the same, volume or the same biodiversity or the same seasonality. And it it really does feel like an embarrassment of riches here in Southern California. The seasons are really fun. It's actually, I feel like I grew up here. I've only lived in California and Nevada. So seasons, you know, we have fire season, we have earthquake season, that we have Santa Ana wind season. I mean, that's about it. And so it, but it really taught me how to pay attention to the seasons of the birds, what shows up when, what leaves when, um, Friday in December when I saw like the first ring-necked duck of the winter and was like, they're back. You know, I mean, it's just fun to notice or to suddenly be like, I haven't seen 
whatever in a while. And so it, that, that was a fun way for me to learn seasons. I've always felt like I didn't experience them living here and we do have them. They just fly in and out. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. They're subtle, but they're there. If you're looking, they're there for sure. Let's talk a little bit about how birding has taught you to notice, to learn, to be present. I, I tell people it's one of my deepest spiritual practices and, you know, people laugh, but that's not a joke. Like it really does connect me to the Lord. It connects me to myself. What has that journey been like for you? How has birding helped you learn to notice and to be present? I think, so I'm a very strong introvert. Um, so being alone is fine with me. And I think it was one of the reasons my dad was an introvert as well, that we enjoyed going together because you could just be quiet and you could just point, literally point at something and then both stand there in amazement together. But uh, my dad was always a great observer just in general. He could drive down a street he'd driven down 1500 times and tell you the like three things that were different that time or what store got painted. So I'd always been kind of curious about, he was an artist, he had that eye. And so I think that was one of the things I noticed early on in being able to describe a bird. You had to really pay attention. I would think, I know what a sparrow looks like, but I don't really know what a sparrow looks like. And so I think even just noticing that I didn't notice, that I think that was the first step of realizing I want to actually pay attention. If I'm going to describe to someone, people say, oh, well, what does that bird look like? And I go, oh, it's beautiful. It has... And I couldn't always find the words and I could picture it in my head, but I couldn't articulate it. And so I thought, I want to be better at that. And I, my mind never turns off. I just have a mind that goes constantly. But when I'm standing and looking at a bird, it's quiet in my mind. Like I'm able to just be present. And that has really felt like a gift to me, that that is just a moment of God saying, look, I made that. What else do you need right now? Mm. And I don't need anything else right then. And so I think that appreciation, I look at a bird and I just think, and other things in creation, but mostly birds, and think, how can someone not believe in a God? Like Even if whatever that looks like for them, like the fact that that thing is beautiful and then it flies, I, that's just kind of enough for me some days. And so it's become a real, it's just a thing that I can do anywhere. You know, I, I'm grateful that I live a half mile from my job. So I walk to work a lot of the time and it's walking along a busy streets. So I live in a busy city and I will without fail see three or four or five, sometimes up to a dozen different kinds of birds just walking because I'm looking. Hmm. And uh, that's a, that's a special thing that I've noticed. I didn't notice. I mean, the fact that I saw 35 or more new kinds of birds in 2023, they weren't new here. Some were hmm. rarities that I chased, but in general, they've been here. I just wasn't looking. Mm -hmm. And so that has felt like a gift of then realizing, so how, what is that with people? Who have I not noticed in people? What have I not noticed in my community? Um, so I feel like the birds have kind of been a gateway, maybe too strong a term, but a soft entrance into just looking around and slowing down enough. I learned from my mom to walk with speed. Mm. I, you know, over the holidays, texted a friend and said, why are there meanderers in Target? Do people not understand? It, we're in a hurry here. And that's how I move through life generally. 
but not if I'm looking for birds or not if I suddenly see a bird when I'm not looking for birds. It just, mm-hmm. it literally slows me down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a reminder sometimes from God of what's your rush? Just mm-hmm. Slow down, just, you know, ratchet it down a step. So, I mean, birding isn't really exercise because my pace is almost backwards sometimes as opposed to, you know, I, I walk to work very quickly until there's a bird. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I have a friend who says, if you're a birder, your runs become walks and your walks become stands and you need to do something else for exercise. And it's so true because I'll do six miles, but I'll do it in four hours, right? <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's very the cardio, true. the cardio is not there. No, it's not. And sometimes it's a different kind of cardio, right? It's, it's good for our hearts in a different way to mm-hmm. just slow down and see, see this world we live in. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk favorite OC birding spots. So if you're not from here, you really need to come. Our weather is beautiful unless it's on fire. Um, Kristen, where are a few of your favorite spots to bird in Orange County? There are so many, but I I love the Bolsa Chica wetlands. I mean, that's just a soft spot in my heart because of memories with my dad, but also the incredible incredible diversity that you can see there. Um, It is wetlands, but there's a lot more than that. Um, So that's a great one, and it's free. I love the Irvine Regional Wetlands, the San Joaquin Marsh. Um, Mm -hmm. That's become a really favorite place. We have a lot of great parks. I had no idea how many parks we had in Orange County. Um, So there's the county parks, but we've got a lot of little pocket parks. I mean, there's Tri-City Park near me is one of my favorites. Just a little, I mean, they call it a lake. It's a glorified pond, but it has incredible diversity. Um, we found a little pocket park called Gilman Park in Fullerton that is literally tucked into a neighborhood and has some of the most incredible things I've ever seen, including a resident red-shouldered hawk that is just fabulous. Um, but yeah, the, I would say the county parks are really fun, but then really anywhere that there's water, I'm kind of the sucker for water birds. Um, so I've found several spots along the Santa Ana River that are great. There's a place in Anaheim called the Cove River Trail that runs along a stretch of its retaining ponds along the Santa Santa Ana River. It's about a mile stretch and really nice trail. Sometimes your views are obstructed, which is highly irritating. I don't know who thought vegetation along a trail was a good idea, but um, that's been a lot of fun. And yeah, I think I'm trying to think where there's another place a little more south counting towards you that we went to. It's not the Great Park, but it's near the Great Park and it's not coming to me, but it was sort of, it was technically, I don't think we were supposed to be there. (laughs) We might've walked past some things, but we saw, um, we saw a blue grow speak there and just some different things that were fun. Anywhere there's just the tiniest hint of nature, Hmm. birds will show up. But where are you, where have I missed? Where are places that you like going that haven't yeah, I mean, you named a lot of my favorites. Um, there's a Whiting, Whiting oh. Wilderness yes. Park. Um, I don't know if you've been there. It's about a four-mile trail that takes you to a Red Rock Canyon. And that is where I spotted on my own, without anyone else's help, my first Western screech owl, which really wow. felt like winning the lottery. <laughs> I haven't seen I I think I saw one of those when I was a kid with my dad, but I have not seen one as an adult. They're so well camouflaged. They're hard to find. And I found it. I spotted it with my binoculars and I stood there on the trail and the next 10 hikers that came by, I'm like, do you want to look at an owl? And only one of them did. And I was like, what's wrong with you people? Like, this, this is a big deal. 
but then I remembered I do it for me. I'm offering it to others, but I do it for me. Um, Huntington Central Park. That's another great one. Huntington Central Park, especially the east side. Both sides are good, but the east side, I've seen some amazing things. They've got some resident great horned owls there. We've got a lot of them in Fullerton too. We we have them around us, but you can get good glimpses. I saw their owlets this this last year. It was amazing to. They're very they're very friendly, in a you know you can look at us kind of way. <laughs> totally, totally. And I'm always amazed, even when I take the kids to the beach, that I'll often see a shorebird that I haven't seen before. You know, like we we have a vast array of different shorebirds, especially depending on the season. And my husband has now decided our dates need to be indoors or I'm too distracted for Aww. good conversation. So we do some birding dates and then we do some like, we're actually going to talk to each other dates. That's it's okay. okay. Yeah. Around Back Bay too is a great yeah. spot. Um, the, I can't remember what the nature preserve kind of on the backside of that is, but we were there one day and saw, we saw a roadrunner, we saw all kinds of stuff and people are just walking by. And I kept saying, if they would just stop and look, I mean, the harriers were out. It was amazing. And people are, you know, not paying attention. Thinking but about I what's French from grabbing people and being like, look, look at the meadowlark. It's amazing. I, I didn't do it. I mean, I made my husband look, but. I feel like birding is a switch that flips for people. And until it's flipped, you can point to things, but they may or may not be interested. But I'm a true believer that if you live long enough, you will become a birder. You know, for some people, it might take 400 years and they're not going to make it. But like birding comes for us all. Yeah, it's well, and I think, yeah, I had one of my sisters in law texted me about filling out a Christmas wish list and saying something about, yeah, I, I put down, I like books and light gardening. What am I, a thousand? And I said, well, I like books and birding. So I'm a thousand with you. And she just laughed and it's, but it does, I mean, I've actually had the privilege of leading a couple discussions within um, something we do at our church called seasonal Sabbaths about bird watching. And the number of people who are kind of like, oh, we're allowed to say that we like birds. Oh yeah. I really, you know, uh, and some of it is asking for, well, what is this thing in my yard? And some of it is like, oh yeah, I I love birds, but I, I didn't know other people did. And like, yes, it's, it's amazing. And you're allowed to say it out loud. It's becoming cool too. There was something about the pandemic that kind of tripped the switch for people in the younger generation. And now it's almost trendy and I kind of don't want it to be trendy. Cause I'm, you know, I like to be not trendy. I've just embraced my inner Ms. Frizzle. Like this is who I am. It's fine. Um, and it's exciting because when more people get interested and in, involves, um, I think good things, good things happen. Oh, totally. I've had people come up to me at church and show me their like Merlin app to see like, here's everything that it recorded in my backyard. I'm like, I know. It's amazing. Totally. I think about 20% of the texts and emails I get at church now are bird related, which has just vastly improved my quality of life. You know, what is this? It's in my yard or I found, I found the Sora. If you travel down to this park by this afternoon, it might still be there. Like, I love it. It's so great. It's good. It's good for connection. It's good for ministry. It's, it's good for, good for happiness. All right. I'm going to ask this question in the middle of the show today to just change things up. It's usually right at the end, but since we're deep in the world of birds, what is your favorite bird, Kristen? Hardest question of the show. It is hard. It it changes all the time. I've always, this will be my cop-out answer, I've always had a really soft spot for herons. Um, it's one of the, the great blue herons, one of the first birds I think I learned as a kid to identify. So the fact that we have so many different kinds of herons around here, I have a huge soft spot for them. And I'm always excited when I see one, especially if it's a green heron or a black crown night heron. Those are high on my list. But the more I've thought about it, I think I think my favorite is probably the red-tailed hawk. Um, they're common. 
I actually see them probably almost daily around here. They weren't common when I was growing up. I remember that being a really big thing around here. I think in an odd way, the more people we have, the more nature we have because we have taken their space and so they're learning to share with us. But I think the red-tailed hawk, there is something just, one, it generally, I have to literally look up to see them and I lose sight of all the other things, kind of a physical removal of distraction. But there's something about watching a red-tailed hawk soar that just, it stills everything in me. There's something about that. It feels like the picture of, of freedom, of faith, of just trusting that that air current is going to carry that big bird, and it does. Um, of just, it's, I think it's sort of a picture of abiding for me. Mm-hmm. It's active stillness. The bird is actually moving. I mean, it's physically moving to stay in what looks like a still position and then allow the air to carry it. So it's kind of this picture to me of this spirit's helping us to abide. Um, Mm. And so there's something just every time I see a red-tailed hawk, it just kind of makes me smile. And I can't help but stop and watch unless I'm driving, in which case I do still watch, but safely, generally (laughs) speaking, relatively safely. Um, Because there's something just really settling, I think, Mm. to me about watching so it's hard to say that's a favorite favorite because I don't really have a least favorite bird, but mm. it does make me, it just brings a lot of joy to see one. Mm. There is a special place in my heart for any bird that helps keep our rat population down out here. <laughs> that is also a strong bonus. Yeah. Birds of prey, I'm not really sad about. Even the owls around, I'm like, oh, I hope, I hope you've ate well in the area where I live. Have dessert. Go again. Be here every night. (laughs) We moved here. You know, we moved here from the Midwest. My husband's originally from Los Angeles. So he's, you know, he's a native Californian, but he, um, you know, we're, we're out here for the first time and, you know, moving in and I'm like, what is that? And he's like, oh, that's a tree rat. They're all over. And I was like, wait, wait a second, like back up the moving van. I'm, I'm good. I'm out. Yeah, we have Ooh. a surprising rodent population out here. <laughs> it's real. You don't necessarily see them a ton, but you see a lot of evidence of them. Yeah, they get around. They chew through things. Well, I want to pivot now, Kristen, because you've shared that part of your story is that you got married fairly late in life, midlife. I'm I'm 41. I'm comfortable now saying I'm in midlife. This is midlife. Um, and you have been, you know, part of churches for, for most of your, your life. And I would love to hear... As someone who was single in your 20s, in your 30s, in the church, um, what did the church do well and what can the church do better? Yeah, that, um, I would say the church did both. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've been very blessed. I grew up in a family and within a church. I had generations of my own biological family within the same church growing up, as mm-hmm. well as the generations of the church. I think I grew up with the unarticulated blessing of just always having an intergenerational picture of this is what church is supposed to be. Mm. Uh, So that was phenomenal. And I feel like it was part of why I worked with youth because I felt that the way that someone who grows up in the church stays in the church is when they have people they are not related to who are not their generation who love them and care about them and are invested in them. And I benefited from that. And I, I wanted to pass that on. And I'm still passionate about that. It's part of 
a part of my ministry here is technically intergenerational uh, because of that. I, I see such value in that. So I think the church did some of that for me really, really well. Um, I always had a place. It wasn't always super comfortable, but I always had a place in the church. And I always had people who were not my age or stage of life who loved me and accepted me. And so that was massive. Um, that said, as I got older in the church, it that place got less comfortable as more and more of my my peer group got married and started families, and not that any of them ever excluded me. That is not my story, but I had fewer places to fit. So even when I moved back to California, I was 30, I started going to a new church and a big church because I wanted anonymity. And part of that was great. I mean, I could show up and for a year and a half, and I say this positively, for a year and a half, no one spoke to me and it was glorious. Hmm. I didn't want to be known. Um, it was... It was what I needed. But when I started wanting connection and started entering in, I realized by that point, you know, in my early 30s, well, I can't go to the college group. I'm too old for that and don't want to go to that. We didn't really have much of a young adults group at that point. I wasn't a mom. I couldn't go to mops. I couldn't go to the young married class. I wasn't married. Like I, I finally, by default showed up at women's ministry kind of kicking and screaming internally because thinking like, I never pictured this for myself. I don't want to be here. Um, it, there was sort of nowhere else to go. Our, um, we have a lot of adult Sunday school classes, but they're all sort of by age and stage, meaning there's not a lot of places for single 30s to show up alone and feel people would be welcoming, but to feel welcome not so much because um, you just don't fit. And so that was, I would say a lot of my 30s was sort of a, a weird tension of, I had always assumed I would be married and have a family. So there was sort of that own processing of my own of, well, that's not my story. And so God has something different and that's great and let's figure it out. But also that tension of, so where does that put me at church? You know, where, where does that put you when no man will speak to you unless his wife is next to him? even if you know him. And it's kind of like, well, that's awkward. You've known me a long time, but you know, it's like there's some sign on me that I'm, I'm dangerous in a strange way. Um, so I, I think the church has room still to grow in those areas of seeing each individual as an image bearer who is fully valuable regardless of their life stage, their marital state, whatever that might be. Um, and, and people did some of that well. I mean, our senior pastor invited me into uh, some different roles as a single woman that surprised me, quite honestly. That, um, And I think in some ways I, I started preaching here when I was single, and I think that was actually part of why it worked. I was kind of the first woman to be doing that, and I think it was helpful to have, you know, no one else was going to be hurt in that process. My my mom mm. was here at the church at the time. My dad had already passed away, but, um, you know, that the potential collateral damage was less. And I think, and I'm not saying that negatively, I'm saying that with a, that made it easier for me to say yes to. Mm. Um, I think, I think it also made it more acceptable. Um, nobody could say that I was stepping out from under the authority over me in a, a husband or even a dad. I didn't have either at that point in time. Um, and our pastor was really sensitive. I would often give him kind of notes after I would send him an email. I'm known for follow-up emails. <laughs> and I would send an email and just say, hey, just, just so you know, 
when you said this and I was sitting there as a single woman next to a single mom who's been divorced, not by her choice. And I know Mm. about 15 rows behind me was my widowed mom. Just so you know, when you said this, it sounds a certain way. And, you know, he would be, Mm. and I'd say, and maybe nobody else heard it that way. And he would say, no, if you heard it, so did they. And I need to know. So Mm. I think the church has done some of those things well, and some it's, it's still a struggle. So then, yeah, I was, um, my now husband, I've actually known him pretty much my whole life, but he had been living in a different state, different life had taken us different trajectories. And uh, so even our dating was long distance most of the time. And people were pretty startled with kind of like, well, what does this mean? And our pastor was like, are you moving to Washington? No, he's moving here. Um, He's from here, uh, sort of. And it was interesting. People embraced him. It was great when he got here. Um, It's been a seamless process getting married, but it's still interesting. I still, we've been married a little over a year. And it's interesting that I sometimes still have to think through the like, oh no, I'm, yeah, people do treat me differently because I'm not single or do they or don't they? Hmm. Um, So I I would love to see the church not have that be one of those high, high filters that we hold of how we view people or how we even introduce people. Hmm. Um, It, I try hard to not introduce, oh, this is so-and-so's spouse or no, they're their own person, whether that's marriage relationship or child, you know, I grew up being so-and-so's kid, so-and-so's little sister. And I didn't dislike that. I, I love my family, but also how about just Kristen? Hmm. Um, and so I think that's something that the church has room to grow in. I think we're better than we used to be in a lot of ways, but, um, I still kind of have an eye for the, the singles and kind of how, how is the language we're using? How are our sermon illustrations? How many, you know, I know we we joke about like, oh, let's not do sports illustrations because we have women here, which as a woman who loves sports, I'm kind of like, I, I use them sometimes. But how many of our illustrations are family-centric, are marriage-centric, are, you know, and so even just what are, what are ways that we can think more holistically hmm. and then actually treat people as siblings? You know, what if we viewed... What if I, as a woman, viewed the men in the church as my brothers, not, you know, I didn't as a single woman. I wasn't viewing every man as a potential mate. That was that would be ridiculous. But I felt like that was what was expected in mm. some ways, or that was the assumption. Mm. And so we treated people that way. No, what if we just viewed them as a brother, as a sister? What if we just showed up for them the way we would for our own siblings, assuming that we show up for our siblings, which is a different issue. But I, I think the church has come a long way and has a long way to come. Hmm. I I really appreciate your sharing of your story. I, I've heard from single friends and single colleagues in the church that one of the things they face is often feeling like they're treated like they're not quite grown up yet. It's like the grownups are married. Once you grow up, you'll be married. Like you can't be completely immature and get married or completely mature and, and be single. And I think recovering that idea that we we all stand individually before God as ourselves, whether we're single or single again, like your mom is, um, or married, that we are we are called to see one another, like you said, as brothers and sisters. Um, so that's a word. Thank you. So as we talk about 
birding and being in the church and all of the good and the bad and the the ways that we still need to grow and how far we've come. Um, where are you finding hope these days? When you think about hope, what comes to mind? Yeah, two things kind of jumped immediately to mind. One, um, every year we, we have a vibrant special needs ministry at our church. It's been going on for decades. It's amazing. It's for kids. It's for adults. It's it's really great. And every year we do a Christmas program. They do a Christmas program and put it on and it packs out the church. It's phenomenal. And as I sat at it in December, I just kept looking at the stage and going, this is what the church is supposed to be. Because every, every, we call them students, whether they're six or 46. And every student up there, generally speaking, had their, their helper with them. And those helpers ranged from teenagers to PhDs. And those people show up for the rehearsals just like the students do. And they are there doing the motions with them or helping them do them, cueing them, doing all the things. But they're doing it in, they're in the background, literally dressed in black, like behind their student. And there's so much togetherness, right? It's male and female. It's, it's special needs. It's able-bodied. It's every education level, it's verbal, it's nonverbal, it's it's all of the things working seamlessly as one. And I just sat there taking that in going, this gives me hope. If mm. we can do this for one night, which takes months and months of preparation, and in the audience we have our students invite their doctors and their social work, all the people, you know, that don't come on a normal basis, but they show up to see their people. Right. And I kept thinking, this is this is what gives me hope that we can do it in this capacity. So what if we expanded that? What if we lived this way mm. all the time? So I feel definite element of hope there. And then kind of the hope element I see in the birding world is, and I, I'm, you've talked about this on the podcast, but there is something about being out and I can be out alone and see something, think I cannot figure what that out what that is. And I see somebody else with binoculars or a big lens and their game, if I say, hey, I got this terrible picture. Any idea what this is? And it amazes me how many photographers will be like, oh, I have no idea what I'm taking pictures of. I just take pictures. I'm like, you have got a lens that costs more than I probably made last month. And you don't even know what you're taking a picture of. But I don't say that out loud. Um, <laughs> but generally, they're so willing to help or to tell you like, oh, well, if you like that, you should go down, you know, 300 yards. I saw whatever. And just that that aspect of community and willingness to walk alongside. Literally, I've had people like walk me to places and point out things that I'm like, oh, I would have never seen that. Um, and equally, people will stop me. And I actually had somebody else stop me on a trail one time and go, that knew who I was because, and they're like, aren't you the one that gave that talk? I'm like, whoa, that's a little, that's a little creepy. But, um, but that willingness to interact, that willingness to trust someone because you see kind of the marker of sameness and the willingness to partner and share information, share experience. And that gives me hope in the sense of like aspects of our larger community know how to do this. Um, we could do it in more ways. It doesn't have to be just birds. Mm. Like we, we could approach people with less suspicion. And I'm not saying don't be safe. But what if our default position wasn't always assuming the worst? about mm. people? What if our default position was that person would probably help me if I asked? Mm. That person might know this thing that I can't figure out. Mm. And then, you know, obviously I was thinking in the like, what if we did that in the church? But, but even just in the community, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times if you just smile at the person waiting in line with you, will they start talking to you? Which as an introvert, I generally don't like, but I did get my Midwestern grandma's like kind of, my mom and I joke, there must be something on our foreheads. It says, ask me, because I can't go in a store without somebody asking me where something is or how, you know, and I don't know, or that I'm five foot one. The number of people that ask me to reach things for them, I'm like, are you serious? I mean, I'll climb the <laughs> shelves, but do you not see me? But my grandma couldn't meet a stranger. And so I think even mm. some of that just, what if, what if we lived life without our defenses so high? Mm. And I see that in the burning community, that willingness to be present together. Mm. And so that gives me hope that we could do that in more of life. Mm. That's, that's beautiful. The birders are our brothers and our sisters. They are. And they notice a lot of things that we might like to see if we would just slow down. <laughs> Slowing down, man, that's the hardest thing. I'm working on that too, from one hard-driven person to another, for sure. Well, final question before we talk a little bit about where people can find more of you if they want. I know you're not big on social media and you're an introvert, so maybe you don't want to be found, which is totally valid. Is there a bird in particular that you're really hoping to see in 2024? Oh, I mean, there are always so many birds I'm hoping to see. Um, that's so funny because I was just thinking about one this morning that I was like, I still haven't seen, and now I can't think of what it was. That's ridiculous. Hmm. <laughs> okay, I'm going to keep thinking about there that. There is something. My husband, so he's brilliant. He's got a PhD in systematic theology. He's like the smartest person I've ever met. And if you say, what's, what's a song that you like? He oh. just, an immediate blank. Like, have I, I ever heard a song? Like, what's your amnesia. favorite bird? Immediate blank. I can't. <laughs> totally. I can't. No, but, well, I mean, someday I would love to see a California condor in the wild. I think that would be mm. amazing. I've seen condors and zoos and things, but that would be absolutely phenomenal. And I would love to up my owl viewing, especially local. I've seen, the only owls I've actually seen around here are great, uh, great horned owls, which are amazing. And I'm grateful. And I am not complaining. That's not true. When I was little, we had burrowing owls and I used to know where they were and my dad would point them out. Uh, and those are amazing. They basically don't exist here anymore, but, um, but I would love to see, mm. see some more owls. And, but I truly, I am happy to see any bird and anything that's new is always extra exciting, but I'm a big fan of the regulars. I mean, I'm not too picky. There is something sweet about as fun as rarities are, like the house finches are back and they're delightful. Yeah. Well, and who can't look at a black Phoebe and just smile? Like that's just a cute bird. They are. Their little tails flicking around. They're so funny. And they look like they're in their little tuxedo just hanging out there. And you're like, you look very dapper for just hanging out by the dumpster. But hey. So dressed up, eating the flies. Well done. (laughs) Well, Kristen, if indeed you want to be found, where can people find you? Yeah, I'm really not on social media, but um, probably through the church website is the easiest. Sermons and stuff are there. My email is there. Um, Just click on my picture and I'm, I'm very willing to interact, but I... Yeah, can't really get on the social media bandwagon myself, which is interesting as the calm person. I respect I am technically it. in charge of our church's social media and mostly have to recruit other people that know what they're doing. So I'm like, you know, it's not my skill set, really. I can do the written words that go with it, but you come up with the pictures. 
Good to know your wheelhouse. <laughs> well, Kristen, thank you so, so much for being here today. We'll link to uh, Kristen's church website in the show notes if anyone's looking for her and wants to talk South County or, or North County, North Orange County birds. I'm in South County. She's in North County. Thank you for the gift of your time and your wisdom and your thoughtfulness. It was so good to have you on the show. It was great to be here. Thanks so much, Courtney. The Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up. Your soul. Yes, it does.